Thanks for coming on the podcast, Pinong. Really appreciate it. So uh, you're flying all the way from Singapore to Ottawa, yeah. right? So you're here for a conference. Um, but why don't you tell us about uh, a little bit about what you do and your background? Sure. Um, so uh, I'm Pei Dong. Um, I'm currently an assistant professor at uh, National Institute of Education in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, over there, I teach sociology courses to undergraduate students who are training to be uh, secondary school social study teachers. So that's what I do for work. Um, in terms of research, my interests are in the um, sociology of educational mobility. So I've worked on projects like, you know, Chinese international students in Singapore, uh, migrant teachers, uh, Indian students pursuing medical education in China. Those are some of the projects I've worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in why uh, young people pursue educational mobility, namely, um, you know, education in another country. What are the motivations? What are the you know social consequences of that? What are the you know aspirations, and what are the different pathways that lead them to you know uh, uh, different outcomes in education? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean from our time in Oxford together, we overlapped that year. Yeah. Um, you know, you share with me your story. That actually sounds very much like your own personal story, mm-hmm. right? Can you tell us a little bit about your own story and, and like where you're from, and you know, is this sure. a path that you ha- you walked on yourself? Yeah, okay, sure. So um, I, I guess, you know, uh, it is no surprise that I worked on educational mobility because I have lived that myself. So uh, when I was 17, studying at the second year of my senior, uh, senior middle school in China, I was offered a scholarship by Singapore government to, to, to move to Singapore to receive my undergraduate education. Um, so that became the starting point of my educational mobility. So um, I, I went to Singapore, um, I, start, I get my first university degree there, uh, and from there uh, I, uh, you know, I, I got uh, two other scholarships that uh, you know, allowed me to pursue my master's and PhD in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where, how I ended up in Oxford doing my PhD where right. I met you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I sort of spent, you know, I left China when I was 17, so I spent you know, more than 12 years mm-hmm. uh, abroad you know, uh, receiving my postgraduate education, undergraduate and postgraduate education. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you left, but but when you left China, though, I mean, you were seventeen. Uh, you're the only child, I assume. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, when you left China, then you're all alone. I mean, when you were in China, did you did you do the whole like moving to another school away from your home? Like, were you in a boarding school as well? Uh, not really. So not really, okay. I'm, I'm from a pretty ordinary Chinese family, I would say. You know. Mm-hmm. I was from this town called Nanchang, which is a provincial capital city of Jiangxi province. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I would say I, will, I was born into a sort of middle class family. Um, so I studied in a, you know, in a fairly good school in the city, but uh, it was never really, um, I never had to travel far for my you know, uh, school. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So during that time, so through, until 17, you were with your family then? Yeah. And yeah. But after 17, you had to move abroad to Singapore by yourself. So tell, yes. tell, us, tell us a little bit about that experience. Like, um, I mean, 17 is really young and you're moving to another country mm-hmm. and, and they spoke English there. And I'm not sure okay. how good your English was at that time. But Okay. Uh. So, I mean, in Ch- uh, we all had to learn English in, in school. And I think English is a subject I excelled in, you know, uh, at that point you know, at that time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really looked forward to, you know, uh, going abroad to study. So, you know, so the opportunity to study in Singapore was something that really, uh, you know, uh, I, cher- I cherished. Um, and I would say that 
adjusting to living in Singapore and studying in Singapore wasn't that difficult. Of course, you know, every country, every, you, you go to a different culture, go to a different country, there are obstacles, difficulties. But Singapore being a majority Chinese ethnic, you know, society where Chinese language is also spoken, um, we, I, 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 I didn't think it was that difficult. Um, and, uh, you know, we, um, and the Singapore government actually provided quite a good sort of bridging program that helped us ease in, ease our way in, uh, mm -hmm. in, in uh, yeah. So it wasn't that difficult, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. But in, so when you were in Singapore, though, um, you were there for how many years? So I was there, so uh, before matriculating in the university, it was a 18-month bridging program. Um, so altogether, that would be about six years, slightly less than six years. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent half a year in Japan on exchange, by oh, the way, yeah, okay. during my undergraduate. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. So I mean, and so your undergraduate was in Singapore. Was in Singapore, yeah. And then you, after that, you applied to. You went to Cardiff. Uh, yes. So I got this uh, scholarship, which allowed me to pursue my masters by research in Cardiff University. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then after that, you you went you got into Oxford. That's yes. For yeah. For. It's not sociology. Child. It was an education. education. It was a detail education. in education. Yeah. And so, and so basically, it sounds it sounds like when you're when you're walking this path, and this is the research that you do. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're examining your own your own experience. Um, I mean, yeah. this is this is this is a pretty normal thing for researchers, right? They look yes. at their own yeah. experience, absolutely, um, absolutely, and they look at it from different angles. So, what have you found from in terms of like a like education, educational migration and mobility, mm -hmm. right? Um, because one of the things that this podcast is specifically interested in is in mm -hmm. soft skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are the things that really help people adapt and flourish mm. um, when they move abroad? And and, and, I, and I know, like, looking at the research of, um, you know, for someone like Vanessa Fong, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. even her stories, not all of them ended up well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what are, what, are your, what are some of the things that you think are really important in terms okay. of uh, being able to adapt Sure. Um, when you move around like that. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, if I may add, uh, what I did for my um, PhD dissertation at Oxford was actually about um, uh, Singapore's uh, scholarship program for students from China. So I literally researched <laughs> on uh, the group of people that I was originally from, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That, that you know, uh, the students, same program. The same program, the students okay. who are recruited by Singapore government at, you know, uh, teen, you know around uh, 17. Uh, you know, uh, given scholarship to study in Singapore. I wanted to understand these people's um, intercultural experiences um, because I, I think that experience of transitioning to Singapore, living in a different culture, it did leave me a strong impression. Uh, and it, it left me uh, wondering what was the experience of having to, you know, uh, learn to speak a different language. Well, not, not from scratch, but you are interacting with people from different cultures. You are you are trying to blend in. You are trying to integrate. You know you are trying to uh, get to know more people. So what were the difficulties? I wanted to understand their experiences of that of that process. So I would say you know what I found uh, stand out in in my research or in in the experience I found was that uh, in the process of intercultural communication or intercultural interaction, there is a lot um, pitfalls, potential pitfalls where you know. Um, Stereotype could develop, uh, where um, you know even discrimination could could happen. So as immigrant, uh, as migrant students, you enter a different uh, you know culture, 
a different country, interacting with locals, they will have certain perceptions about you, the culture you are from, the country you are from, and how do you react to those? Right? I think it's it's always、uh, it's very central to to、um, mobile students' experience or you know migrants' experience in general. So、um, so I examined how students develop and mature their identity, mature their Uh, um, you know、uh, how they experience self transformation in this kind of process, navigate different kind of you know pitfalls if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the pitfalls that they they would experience? I mean, you you mentioned discrimination and so、yeah. on. So can you give me some examples, some stories about that? Okay. So one thing, for example, I think in、um, quite particular to this group group of uh, you know uh, scholarship receiving Chinese students is that they are academic elites in China,、mm-hmm. so they were selected precisely because they are academic academically successful in China, and when they are given you know when they are put in、uh, local universities in Singapore. Naturally, they、um, their academic performance is above average compared to the local students in Singapore.、Uh, so I mean, and this is you know right because Singapore government does want to spend money on you know recruiting talent. They don't want to just recruit average students. However, when the the Chinese students arrive in Singapore, they realize that local students on average are not as good. As them in terms of academic performance, they develop a certain. Sometimes they even develop a sense of hubris. They would say things like, "Oh, local students, they are not really good, particularly not in math and science, those kind of sub- subjects, which Chinese education is particularly strong on." Right.、Mm-hmm. So、um, there are dangers for them to develop a you know certain stereotype about local students that they are you know、uh, somehow inferior to them. So that was the one thing that I left. A very strong impression on us. Among ourselves, the scholars, we had this discourse that oh, we are academically better, we are superior compared to the local students in the same university. But then subsequently, I realized, and many、uh, the scholar, many of the scholars, they realized too that this is not the whole picture, right? Yes, you may have certain strengths in certain subjects, in you know, in certain areas. But what about other areas? The Chinese students may be stronger in you know science and、uh, engineering and those kind of things, but they may be less、uh, good in terms of soft skills,、mm-hmm. in terms of intercultural communication.、Mm-hmm. They are generally, I would say, Chinese students when they just arrive in Singapore, they are much less sensitive to. Different cultures to multicultural communication compared to Singaporeans because Singapore is is always a very diverse you know、uh, Singaporeans are very diverse people so they are much more used to you know、uh, cultural sensitivity you know cultural differences so、um, being from China we are less aware of those kind of things so we actually I start to realize and many Chinese students start to realize that that they are. Not as good compared to local Singaporeans in terms of managing、uh, cultural diversity, intercultural communication.、Right. So that that's what that、it's, was some of the things I found. It's interesting because it's almost like they come. I mean, they're selected based on their hard skills,、mm. right? How fast they can, like, you know, how fast and how precise they can do math and sciences. Yeah, you could say. But,、yeah. but when they come and when they come over, they they develop this, you know. Um, this complex where, like you know, superiority complex yeah, where, yeah.、Uh, yeah, we're better than you guys, and of course, there's a huge selection effect because you're selected yeah, because exactly, you're that, right? Exactly.、Um, but at the same time, you know, hitting that cultural wall,、yeah. and Singapore is so diverse, right?、Um, uh, how many how many groups of people like officially? I mean, are there their their ID cards have actually have their ethnicity on there, right? Yes, that so that's in Singapore officially you have you have what we call CMIO or Chinese, Malay, Indian, and other. 
But in fact, the population diversity in Singapore is much more than that, right? You know, within Chinese, there are different. You know, originally there were different dialect groups from different regions in China, and so same for Indian and for Malay.、Mm. Uh, and then the other, the so-called other category, is is really a you know mixed bag of all you know people from all kinds of backgrounds. Right, and so when the Chinese people come,、uh, you know, they they're proud because of their hard skills. Yeah, but. I'm assuming they probably struggle to advance、yeah. because they actually lack the soft skills. Yeah, so there is there is that. So one thing we've observed, and many uh, uh, I I talk to many scholars, and they they reflect on this. They would say yes, yes, you may have a perfect GPA, you know, five point zero, you know, graduating top、uh, first class in university. But when it comes to、um, uh, in the, in the corporate world, when you are working in I don't know in a bank in some kind of commercial organization. They、uh, they find it hard to you know、uh, compete or you know break certain ceilings because they lack in certain social skills, soft skills, right? So that that I've heard about. And another thing I want to、um, I've noticed about Chinese scholars is that the ch- education back in China has this nationalistic、uh, um, sort of undertone to it. So many Chinese students, at least in my time, I don't know about you know what is it like now. We were educated to believe that Chinese civilization, Chinese culture, is a very profound, deep culture that has, you know, great achievements historically. So there is that sense of, you know, ethnocentrism or、uh, cultural superiority that we have developed. And when it when when we come to Singapore, we we know that majority of Singaporeans are ethnic Chinese. However,、uh, they are ethnic Chinese, but Chinese culture to them may have been. Diluted or have you know、uh, is different from China in, because of its colonial past, Singapore's colonial past. So Chinese、uh, Chinese students,、uh, you know, they start to、um, feel like Singaporeans are not as good or you know steeped in Chinese culture compared to them. So that's another point. That's another pitfall where you know Chinese students develop this cultural superiority compared to them. Right. So it's almost like Singaporean culture, Singaporean Chinese culture. It's、yeah. kind of for them is like. Watered down, Watered, yeah, exactly. And, and it's kind of doesn't doesn't it also reflect the traditional like barbarian, right? The barbarian mentality, like you know, there's central China and then there's the fringes of China and there's、yeah. the fringe island just south, like south of China kind of mentality. You you could say that a little, and、yeah. also you know, in、uh, I, this is actually a you know. Uh, we used to say Singapore is like、uh, you know some Chinese students used to say Singapore is like a village or something because it's small. In fact, it it is huge. So it is so advanced. But in China, because of the the you know nationalistic education we've received and so on, so there is always this you know、uh, the bigger is the better, right? And China is a big country in in every sense. So、uh, you know sometimes they just develop this kind of very insensitive discourse,、uh, you know, imaginary、mm-hmm. about you know where they are. Which is which was what I found troubling, and I wanted to un, you know that drove me to you know do my study because I wanted to understand and unpack that you know experience and to see how that could have been avoided or you know could have been turned into a better、uh, experience. Now, did did any? I mean, just we're talking about positionality now. Did、mm. any of this come from your own experience? You know, you you walked that path yourself,、mm. right? Did you walk in having a superior? Like, I, I don't, I'm I'm guessing.、Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know.、Uh, feeling that like okay, I'm coming from China. I'm you know better than the average Singaporean student. And did you actually? And then you you know hit some wall based on your soft skills as well. Was that actually your experience or?、Um, mm. I guess there.、Uh, yes, I、uh, I 
you know, just like many other Chinese students, I did have that. Um, I probably at some point did have a little bit of, uh, you know, sense of superiority compared to locals when it comes to academics, when it right. comes to certain things, right? The, such mm -hmm. as, you know, uh, maybe the average Singaporeans don't speak, you know, Mandarin, you know, uh, fluently and so on, you know, their command of the language and so on and, you know, their understanding of Chinese culture. So I think that is quite common to us. Um, it took me a long time to start to appreciate what uh, Singaporeans are actually capable of and, you know, Brought, being brought up in the, that cultural hybridity, what, how, how powerful that is. It, it took me a long time to appreciate that. After I graduated from Singapore, I went to UK to study, you know, uh, to, 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 you know, to get my master's and PhD. And I, you know, I interact with people from more diverse backgrounds, uh, you know. Uh, I start to realize that, you know, um, Singapore is a place where you could really, you know, that, that kind of diverse environment really fosters very good uh, intercultural sensitivity, intercultural communication, right? So, for example, in, I would say generally, being brought up as uh, main uh, mainland, you know, mainstream Han ethnic Chinese, we are generally not very sensitive to religious diversity, mm -hmm. not very sensitive to ethnic diversity. Whereas that in Singapore, that is something that you know from you know uh, just being who you are. So I think it took me a long time to appreciate what you know what uh, the Singapore environment, how valuable it it was. And now I'm back in Singapore working there, uh, and I would say I'm you know much more integrated there now than before. So I start to appreciate more uh, what what you know Singapore represents. And would this be because you you know went took you you went to Cardiff and then you went to Oxford mm. and Oxford you know being there, yeah it's in England but it's not like England at all. It's mm. it's very yeah. it's kind of like the world compressed into yeah. one yeah. place. Yeah, and everyone's and and. Diversity there is actually quite is, does not reflect yeah, no, the UK yeah, at all, yeah, right? Yeah. And then having and having spent you know your you know spent time there and going back to Singapore, like how do you, that's is do you think that that's the process of you know sensitizing yourself to these different cultures and being able to navigate these um, cultural symbols or or be able to like relate to other people? Yeah, I yes, I mean, I think as you you know. I'll, uh, studying at Oxford has been a very enriching experience for me. You know, um, the diversity, as you say, right, the kind of uh, people you meet there, they really have very interesting experiences. They really come from all corners of the world, literally. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I would say that has added um, added to my cultural sensitivity and it, it helped me appreciate more what, you know, what Singapore was. But one thing about Oxford, though, I think one thing that is perhaps less diverse about it is, is when it comes to class and privilege, right? So this is where perhaps uh, the, the, the one dimension where you don't have a lot of diversity, a, a majority of people who end up in Oxford, who study there, you know, um, they really come from relatively priv privileged backgrounds, right? When I say I'm, you know, um, I'm a, I come from an ordinary, you know, Chinese family, but I think I still, if you look at the larger scheme of things, I suppose I'm still, you know, fairly privileged compared to, you know, the majority of people. So, um, yeah, so that, that was interesting for me too, you know, to see... Um, that you know a, a place or a culture can be diverse in some aspects but not in other aspects and you know so I, I suppose all this add to you know our understanding of what diversity is right right so diversity is not only you know culture not only religion but social economic class and you felt like you know in in Oxford a lot of the other aspects were magnified yeah uh, but in terms of SES right it's really just 
just yeah, middle upper yeah, class, right? Middle upper class or above. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, so when you so going back to the to the uh, migrant, I mean the um, the migrant students, I guess that, would that be the accurate term? Sure. Migrant yeah. Students? Yeah. Yes. I mean, um, migrant students. You've have you tracked them entering the corporate world? Mm. Um, so after they do their studies and and everything, and then they enter the corporate world and start working, right? Um, does does the soft skills, like, you know, how does the soft skills or the, or the lack of soft skills affect them? Hmm. I think sooner or later, because well, if you if we are talking about Chinese students, you know, migrant students who uh, enter workplace uh, in Singapore, I think sooner or later they will um, they do encounter a very diverse work uh, diverse workplace in Singapore. Any you know organization, you know, especially in the in the in the in the uh, private sector, right? It, it's it's hugely you know international, cosmopolitan. Your colleagues could be from you know anywhere in the region or you know uh, beyond. Right, Philippines from Southeast Asia and then from you know Western countries. So your colleagues could from come from all these places. So sooner or later, um, uh, my observation is that Chinese students they do uh, develop you know a, a stronger awareness about you know uh, uh, different cultures, different sort of people of different backgrounds. I think the issue that the, my my PhD my work focused on students in the university campus. Mm. Right in the university campus. Uh, several things stop these students from uh, exposing themselves to the diversity that is around them because uh, Singapore government recruited these students in batches, in large numbers, mm. several hundred, you know. Uh, so, like cohorts. Yeah, cohorts. So, they. Um, so when they arrive in Singapore, they already have a community, you know. Um, they, they, sometimes they are very closely knit. Uh, and that means that you know their social needs can be met within the group, within their immediate community. So there is no incentive to go beyond, uh, to to reach out. So it takes a lot of effort for them to reach reach beyond. And most of the time, you know, we stay within our comfort zones, right? Um, and on the other hand, in the university, the majority uh, of uh, student population would be Singaporeans, and they themselves come from a you know a common background. So they have their social networks, especially uh, for the male students in Singapore. They go through this uh, army national you know uh, service uh, compulsory conscription, basically, where they develop a very strong local culture mediated through their Singlish, their local lingo. So they also have very closely, you know, uh, communities of their own. So in in the society, we find these uh, parallel societies, if you like, mm -hmm. that they that they don't, you know, they live in the same spaces, but they don't interact as much. So in the university space, you know, you you do see this kind of. Um, Maybe not as bad as segregation, but parallel, you know, uh, you know, not so pretty much like self-autonomous yeah. bubbles. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. But but once they are in the workplace, I think um, uh, everyone working in an organization, wh whatever background they come from, they are driven. You know, they they are working towards the organization's goal. They are advancing their career. So with that with that uh, you know uh, objective, they they will enter into you know genuine interaction with each other, and so. If, so I think I think the issue about you know of intercultural communication or interaction becomes less of an issue uh, when they you know enter workplace mm -hmm. actually right so because being thrusted into the workplace that yeah. kind of forces you to reckon with yes. the yes. diversity yes. that actually is and and these students that you that you look at um, they're. They they stay in Singapore, right? Majority of them stay in Singapore. Um, there's a good share who you know um, 
who go back to China or move elsewhere, move uh, onward to other destinations like West in Western countries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, so these students, then, in terms of the, I mean, does does this does this kind of situation cause tension then within the campus? Or oh yes, uh, yes. It certainly does because um, these students are on scholarship, so re- they are re- receiving certain privilege. Um, and local students, not not the majority of them, wouldn't be you know uh, uh, you know on government scholarship. So there is already you know uh, uh, a certain some local students would be you know uh, would say you know this is unfair that our government is giving out all this you know money to foreign students because it's, ta- it's tax money it's yeah, it's tax based, money. yeah so that's a that's a common refrain that you hear that oh it's, it's our taxpayers money that's funding you foreign students right why why do you deserve it especially when you know uh, when uh, foreign students find themselves in uh, situations where they are uh, vulnerable to criticism. So in Singapore, there was this. Uh, there was a famous case. There was a, a student called Sun Xu, and he was a graduating student at uh, one of the universities. There, he one day on you know after some unpleasant experience you know in in the daily life that he he posted on his social media saying something not nice about Singaporeans, and basically the local social media spotted that and it became a you know an event it became a you know a trending kind of event and people locals were you know uh, criticizing the students severely and such that you know until that the university had to step in and do something about him you know so i think he got his scholarship uh, you know uh, sort of revoked for the last year or something you know wow. some punishment was meted out wow you know, to, yeah wow wow yeah. so so there so there was that there definitely was that tension because resources are being spent on these students even though they may be deserving in the eyes of the singapore government but you know um, locals may not, you know, may think otherwise. Right, the Singap- and the Singaporean government is doing this because they want an influx of talent, right? Yeah. To boost the economy, to boost the growth, or, or or whatever. And Singapore score is really high on the and the PISA and TIMS score, like the international uh, assessments. Would you say like, I, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm I'm not familiar how big these cohorts mm-hmm. of Chinese students are, but would you say like these are the, I mean these I mean. The influx of this type of talent is what's keeping Singapore afloat in terms of their education, or mm. well, I, th- I think Singapore education system definitely does very. It's, it's a very strong system. It does very well in preparing students for standardized tests. Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, I think we all have should take a pinch of salt uh, about all these, you know, uh, standardized mm-hmm. testing, PISA, or whatever. Right, right. Uh, you know, they don't say you know about you know. Uh, it's not all be all and all factor there. Um, having said that, I think I think Singapore, uh, when it comes to basic education, mathematics and English, I think uh, it it Singaporean students excels, right? It's what is among one of the top countries in the world, uh, in, in, uh, when it comes to competencies in these subjects. Uh, I routinely hear f- uh, from students, uh, from from teachers in in the system that uh, migrant students, many of them are much more driven. Uh, compared to uh, local students in general, I mean, you know, not everyone, of course, but I think generally because these students uh, they migrate, they come from a different country. Their parents have stronger expectations, you know, high expectations of them to succeed. Uh, I think this is a phenomenon that's not only unique to Singapore. I mean, in the U.S., we have you know the Asian American achievement and all that. So um, I hear that you know migrant students tend to work harder, and be- sometimes because of their uh, educational background in the home country, they tend to do well in certain subjects as well. Okay, I mean, you're an edu- you're in the faculty of education right now. Yeah. Um, 
and you know, having seen all this right, in your research, what would your recommendations be? I mean, have you have you been dealt uh, have you dealt with policy? Well, not not directly, uh -huh. but, you know. but if you were to make recommendations for you know for improving the, like the situation, mm. I mean, what would, what would you say would be things that you would suggest for like this type of program, this type mm. of migrant uh, education migrant program? Okay. So I, th I think overall, these um, scholarship programs that recruit foreign students, they are generally very successful. I think they bring in uh, dynamism, they bring in new talent into Singapore. Uh, Singapore is a, is a you know, tiny city-state that thrives on connectedness. It has to be connected to the rest of the world to thrive economically, you know, socially, and so on. So I think um, Singaporeans also recognize that, that it is important for for the for this small country which is not producing enough babies you know uh singaporeans are not you know uh, the 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 birth rate for singaporean locals has gone down over the last decades so really it, for the country to have a you know sustainable viable uh, uh, uh population and for it to sustain a strong economy there people recognize there is that need for uh, in, uh this uh, inflow of uh, new talent <coughs> i think the the issue with uh, that, uh, the, the controversies that, uh, that we've seen is because maybe there is a perception that, you know, too many have come in, you know, too mm -hmm. short a period of time mm -hmm. and so on. But I think overall, uh, foreign students coming into the system does add, to, you know, add value to the system. It makes local students, you know, uh, it gets local students exposed to greater, you know, diversity as well. So you are no longer just looking at your, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, the familiar faces, your own country, you know, compatriots. You get to expose at a young age to uh, people from uh, the countries around in ASEAN or in China, India, and that certainly helps Singaporeans. I would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So in general, it sounds like you don't have a lot of. I mean, so there's no recommendations. You think it's generally this program is is fine the way it is and the. Like, is there anything that you would say you would restructure in terms of enhancing experience? Like, for example, you said there was two bubbles. Like, mm. Would you would you want to break these two bubbles? Would you want to restructure it so that, like, you know, the Chinese students that come are essentially forced to integrate themselves? Mm -hmm. I mean, but 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 if so, what are, what would the repercussions be? Okay, so <clears throat> um, I guess you know the reason why I uh, did my work, you know, on uh, intercultural interaction communication between these scholars and uh, locals is, is, is that I was concerned you know I these problem uh, these issues tr troubled me and you know they were close to my heart um, so right now I'm actually uh, you know um, working as a faculty in residence in one of the university uh, halls as well the halls of residence where in the block we have uh, students like you know those scholarship receiving students from China um, you know we, there there has been there have always been efforts on uh, uh, you know, helping these students to integrate. I think we need to come up with genuine um, programs, uh, effective programs to help them integrate. I don't think young people nowadays. If you look at young people nowadays, I don't think you 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 just come up with some superficial say. Oh, let's let's celebrate our festival together. I don't think that's a very uh, effective way to to make young people interested. Um, you know, we need to know what uh, what. Today's you know youth are really interested in what are the things that really connect them and uh, people of their age you know in in Singapore right uh, people uh, their peers in in you know in the host culture 
we have to create genuine connection and that's or something that has always troubled me so you know i'm 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 still working on it you know i mm-hmm. would i don't have any grand suggestion or you know uh you know uh, or say i have any solution but you know small ways of helping people to you know get to know more um uh, work together you know um through uh, living together you know activities yeah so mm-hmm. so i mean if you're so from your research then what would be the essential skills to um, for people to develop to cross these cultural borders mm. essentially okay right I mean sometimes I mean I'm sure there are some groups uh, some students who come to Singapore and they realize like oh I'm in Singapore I should probably make something out of this like mm. you know learn more about the other side but they're you know, always stuck in the Chinese bubble yeah. what would be some essential skills that they need in order to develop that cultural sensitivity and mm. cultural um, I mean just mm. yeah the soft skills to navigate sure. this okay well I think um, perhaps more than skills I think uh, attitude is important um, I've, I've never I've, I've seldom thought about these things in terms of skills but I've, I've all th- um, more thought of them as an issue of attitude or you know your outlook I think it is very important that we are all, you know, migrant students, when they enter a different culture, go to a different place, they suspend judgment or at least, you know, um, uh, try to um, hold back the kind of um, the kind of value that, you know, the, the kind of cultural background they come from. Don't immediately jump into some judgment about, you know, the people they encounter. Because they need to be aware that uh, there, there are a lot of things that, about the host country that they don't know. There are a lot of things that, about the host people that they really don't know. There's a history to every individual person. There's a history. There are complex histories to communities that you encounter. Only if you uh, know a little bit about those kind of histories behind these people can you actually interact with the people better. So I think uh, many of the problems that I saw or, you know, I, I encountered myself was because we really didn't know the place that we were going to, you know, in this case, Singapore, that well. We didn't know where it came from, its colonial history, what were its, you know, socio-political, economic history, the trajectory. And, mm-hmm. and what does that mean for, you know, this, this people that we, that we are encountering? So I think it is very important for migrant students to have this uh, attitude of, you know, humility and uh, a learning attitude, an open attitude to learn about differences. Yeah, so I, I you know, I hesitate to say skills, but mm-hmm. I think that that attitude and that sort of orientation is very important. So when you say, so the attitude of suspending judgment, of imposing your cultural worldview yeah, yeah, upon them. Yeah. Um, bef- uh, and I guess this, these skills then, I mean, this worldview or this attitude is also applicable to other places i mean oh absolutely absolutely yeah yeah and and, and it sounds like generally like you know when you go to a new place just suspend judgment mm-hmm. um before before come jumping to your conclusions about you know oh, this thing's stupid like it's a waste of my time yeah, of yeah 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 uh-huh. uh-huh. so in in terms of uh i mean in, in terms of your research and what's the future direction of what you want to do Okay, so right now I I would say my research is always at the intersection between education and mobility slash migration. So um, I've worked on migrant students before. Uh, Currently I have a project on migrant teachers. So Mm. it is again about, you know, uh, migration and education. But now this time I'm looking at teachers who migrate from, uh, say, China or India to teach in Singapore schools. And many of these teachers are so-called mother tongue teachers. They teach... um, 
in Singapore, there are, you know, uh, these ethnic languages are called mother tongues because they are supposed to be the cultural um, sort of uh, a language that's linked to the students, you know, ethnicity and that's supposed to have a cultural significance to it, right? Um, so uh, culture and mother tongue is in Singapore uh, perceived as a vehicle for passing on value. And now we have this interesting situation where foreigners, migrants are coming in to teach locals about their so-called mother culture or mother tongue. So, uh, you know, I, I think this is a place where, you know, we see we can potentially see quite a bit of attention or how the migrant teacher's background could, you know, uh, influence, you know, how uh, students learn about, perceive about their own culture and language. So, you know, uh, so this is what, uh, a project that I'm currently working on. Right, that's really fascinating because when, when we talk, like, well, literally just what you said about like five minutes ago when you said about students going to a new place and suspending mm. judgment, that applies to teachers too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean absolutely. They, go, they go there and they, and they start teaching. Um, Tamil is one of the languages, right? Yes. yes. Right? So, so, for example, you get a teacher from India, fly yeah. over, yeah. teach Tamil culture, yeah. and they start thinking like, you know what? Y'all Tamil culture ain't real Tamil culture. You know, like, just yeah, kind of yeah, like, uh, yeah. like, funny how I said that in a kind of yeah. a black way. Yes. Right? Um, but, but, that's, but that's what, I assume that's what you're going to find. I, you know, so, so that's one of the things that, uh, that was one of my hypotheses. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I do see more of that happen with uh, Chinese, uh, Chinese teachers. So um, a lot of teachers who are teaching mother tongue Mandarin in Singapore, they are language, they used to be language teacher in China as well, you know, teaching Chinese literature, Chinese language. And they, you know, language is uh, heavily ideologically uh, loaded, you know, uh, matter. How so? Well, you know, language is, you know, when, when, when we think about language and literature, right, those are vehicles of ideas, right? You, you read about, you know, ancient Chinese history, Chinese, uh, uh, a Chinese uh, poem or, you know, a certain passage, those have, you know, uh, cultural values deposited in it. So when, uh, what I found in my research was that when Chinese teachers um, teach Singaporeans, they had to actually um, hold back the the cultural connotation of certain you know language teaching, because they felt that uh, in 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 the context of China they could use language as a you know as a vehicle or as a medium to teach values, but in Singapore language has become very instrumentalized. It's just a tool where you you know you really is a tool for communication, not uh, not much beyond that. Uh, so. Um, I've encountered some Chinese language teachers who felt not very satisfied with their work because they felt their, their work has been uh, sort of reduced to just one instrumental dimension where they cannot go into values, history, you know, and all that. It's, so it's almost like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost, well, number one, coming from mainland China to Singapore, you're mm. going from uh, simplified to traditional. Mm -hmm. um, no, that, actually, that's not the case. Really? So Singapore's, uh, the, the official Chinese curriculum follows mainland China. Oh, really? So yeah. it, it's simplified. And I think it's, and it's, a, con I think it's a conscious decision. Right, right. Uh, that Singapore Has it always been that way, or is it more of a recent thing? I, as far as I know, uh, you know, in the... Maybe, maybe this changed uh, in the last two decades. I'm not sure about earlier time. I mean, you know, uh, um, post-print... Um, I think in the in the schools, right, the mother tongue, uh, they've certainly followed mainland Chinese in the in the since uh, you know nineteen eighties, 
right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a conscious decision because China was, you know, opening up and it represented the opportunity. There is this very strong push from a Singapore government uh, to, you know, to say that, you know, we have to be, you know, connected. To be aligned to, with that. To be right? aligned with, you know, China as, you know, as, mm-hmm. as the land of opportunity. Right, because Singapore established their statehood yeah. because they separated themselves from Malaysia, you know, we're yeah. not we're not like Malaysia, yeah. right? We're more Chinese. Mm. I mean, I, I'm not not very good with Singaporean history. Is that approximately in the ballpark? Yeah, that that was you know because Singapore has a, a higher proportion of uh, Chinese ethnic, so you know it didn't fit well. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's the official historical narrative mm-hmm. that it didn't fit well with a, a Malay majority in Malaysia, mm-hmm. so it had to you know it had to mm-hmm. leave. So so going back to the teachers and the teachers, you know, they yeah they, they can teach their so when they teach when they teach their Chinese culture, there's the whole, uh, um, you know, the central cultural fluorescence, Zhonghua Zhonghua yes. Wenhua, right? Yes. Um, and and when they go and when they go to Singapore, they expect to teach how great the Chinese culture is and so on. But in Singapore, because of the mother tongue system and there's like multiple ethnicities yes. and multiple languages. Yes. Uh, language has essentially been boiled down to for in a very utilitarian kind of way. Yes, it's it's a util it's a tool for communication. Yes, and you probably want to tone down the yep. cultural superiorities of each language so that just because you don't want them, you know, going against each other, right? Yeah. You don't want to install these ideologies into the students. Yeah, and so that's what the that's basically what the teachers are. Um, Disillusioned about that, I assume. Some of them, not not all. I wouldn't say all. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there are also teachers who just, you know, for them, teaching language is just a job. You know, it's a it's a livelihood, so they w- they will just do it. But for those, especially for those Chinese teachers who used to be teachers back in China as well, uh, you know, shifting to you know the adjusting to teach la- uh, Chinese in Singapore, you know, was a challenge for them because they had to. First of all, the level of difficulty, you know, the level at which they teach, it has to be readjusted. Uh, and then, you know, as we discussed... Like, readjust mean yeah, lockdown down. Yes, <laughs> okay. in, in, a, in a sense. Yes. And, um, and then, you know, um, and because of... Um, because in Singapore, working language is English and it's a very westernized place. So, um, so one of the teachers shared with me that, you know... Um, if if you talk about Chinese traditional idiom in Singapore, right, a lot of times students don't really understand because they don't have that wider cultural background to understand these. You know, give me an terms. example. How do you speak? Uh, you speak Chinese for this one. <laughs> I, I I can't you know um, I can't think of any you know off the top of my head, but uh, but uh, I've heard of teachers you know saying something to that mm-hmm. uh, to that effect. Mm-hmm. You know, right. So if you say an idiom, but that idiom is actually referring to you know, the spring and autumn period, some type of historic, like some type of historical event in the spring autumn period. Exactly. And the Singapore is like, what, like that, that exactly. level of history is like way above them. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, every, you know, Chinese citizen, you know, just because they are in China, they are more acquainted with this culture. I wouldn't say, you know, that they are, you know, uh, in a way that they are learned about them. It's just that because, you know, in, in, the, in the Chinese, in China, you would somehow be exposed to these things. These things will be, these things will be in the background, so so there is that basis for you to you know to to, to connect on these these idioms you know historical you know uh, stories and whatever. Right. But in Singapore, you know, language has been reduced to you know that that utilitarian thing, that tool for communication. Mm-hmm. So there is not that space for more value, more you know uh, to to come in. Now now, so 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 far we've looked at the mechanisms for 
uh, migrant students in uh, Singapore. We looked at some of them for the migrant teachers. How about the other way around? Because you say you also look at uh, Indian students in China. Oh yeah, yeah. In, the, in, in as medical students, right? Yes, yeah. Right. I mean, is the are the mechanisms the same? Uh, no. So, so this this is a it was a small project that I pursued. Uh, you know, in my, during my postdoc years. And it was very interesting. So uh, what I found basically when I returned to my hometown in China, I, I, I discovered that, uh, you know, the home, the university in my hometown, which is not a well-known university, it's, I guess it's a decent university, but it's not in anywhere near well-known internationally. So it's second, second, third second, tier. Second, third tier university in China. And mm. it, it had, you know, a significant number of, you know, foreign students, m- mostly coming from developing countries, South Asia and uh, Middle East. Africa, uh, some Africa. So, so yeah. this is from. What this would be? Would this be from the? Would it be from the uh, the the one belt one road initiative or not exactly? Uh, well, in those days, there uh, the one belt one road still you know wasn't uh, you know there wasn't uh, the discord there. Yeah, it wasn't right. a thing yet. But, but it was more of a develop like you know China helping developing countries in Africa and Middle East. I think you know the ones where they say we'll send migrant workers over and and, and but you just give us a mine kind of thing. Um, is, it, is it these kind of exchange programs or it wasn't, it wasn't. So, so, so it was interesting that uh, in fact it, uh, the Chinese university charged my, uh, it, it was commercial to them actually oh, okay. so there were about uh, 50 Chinese universities most of them second or third tier uh, universities set up they set up English medium medical degree programs catered to foreign students and majority of these foreign students come from developing countries in Asia Africa Middle East um, and I followed upon a group of students from India more closely uh, for, uh, for my field work. So what I realized that, it, uh, you know, we sometimes imagine that uh, China attracted them because of China's rise and, uh, you know, soft power and all that. But it wasn't the case. For the Indian students who studied in uh, the, the, the uh, university where I looked at, they didn't know much about China. They didn't know much about you know education in China. So what? Uh, so what China represented for them? It represented for them a convenient second chance, or you know, affordable second chance to uh, achieve uh, to get a medical degree, which they cannot uh, achieve in uh, in India itself. Because in India, either you have to be academically extremely successful, or you know, select uh, good. To get to to get into public uh, medical college, or you have to have money to enter private college because they charge you know humongous you know amount of fees. So China actually offered a sort of uh, affordable program, uh, which allows these students to get a medical degree, and th- with that they will go back to India to uh, qualify for the you know national uh, national board examination to in order to practice. And so it was actually a compromise for them. But it. In China's degree, it's applicable there. Like they can use it. It's, uh, it, it was recognized. It's recognized. It, it is recognized. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes you know, uh, it, 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 some of the university could get you know uh, disqualified if they you know if their programs are found to be you know uh, lacking and so on. So mm-hmm. that actually, I mean, I've published this, so I can say this. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, with the uh, field site university that I looked at, you know, at some point. After a few years of running the program, uh, they actually failed uh, a certain inspection from the Chinese Ministry of Education. And uh, so this, the university was suspended from uh, recruiting foreign students on their you know, uh, English language uh, medical program for a few years. Yeah. And, and the students who were trained 
in China that went back to India? I mean, did it affect them or no? Well, the the students who were already uh, there, they could they could still graduate. It's just that they, you know, for for a number of years, this, the university was prevented, was not allowed to recruit more students onto the program. Ah, okay. So, but there, I think their uh, credentials were still recognized. Mm-hmm. And I think I think as far as India uh, Indian uh, government is concerned, they they put their trust or they they put the quality control at the you know the point of their uh, domestic, you know, uh, their national uh, medical uh, board exam, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, I think right. it's called Medical Council of India, so MCI exam. Mm-hmm. So as long as students have a medical degree, which they now get, you know, some of them get from China, and they, they pass the MCI exam, they are qualified uh, doctors. Okay. That's how it works. Okay. And now, when, when we're going back to the, the mechanisms of mm. uh, adapting to a new place, right? Uh, when Indian students go to China, uh-huh. I mean, do they have? I mean, does the same thing happen as it, it does in Singapore? Do they feel like, oh, uh, I mean, you said they don't really know what China is. For them, it's just a second chance. Yeah. Um, is there like a? Is there like a? Like what? What happens when an Indian China, a student ends up in China? Okay, so so this is actually a very different story from uh, my my research on Chinese uh, scholarship students in Singapore. Um, it it was uh, for the Indian students when they are in China. Um, their intention was actually never, uh, there was no intention to settle down in China. For them, as I said, right, going to China was to get a medical degree at an affordable rate and then go back to India. Uh, and China is never, it's not really an immigration destination country. So, uh, and most of these Indian students are not, uh, they don't have prior, uh, you know, uh, uh, knowledge of Chinese language. And they usually, because they have to, balance, you know, the medical, you know, study, which is already heavy. So they usually don't uh, excel in learning Chinese language. Most of them don't. Some some do. So settling or working in China is never really a, you know, option. Um, you know, it's, it's not very likely. Um, and in the, and the, in the university campus, uh, you, you see a very clear segregation between these, you know, uh, Indian or other, you know, foreign students and the Chinese students. They are, they are accommodated, you know, uh, separately. They live in different buildings. Their social life is completely separate. Uh, and even here, I think, you know, there is the, the issue of discrimination still comes in. I mean, most of these students come from uh, developing countries that are less developed than China. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, unfortunately, you know, some Chinese students they you know they look down on them. They they think these are students coming from you know poorer countries. You know uh, they don't you know they, they don't speak Chinese or English well, and you know so so there was a lot of uh, you know segregation. Yeah, it was it was not a, I wouldn't say. Um, it, Interculturally, it was a very fruitful experience for you know for either the local uh, Chinese students or the international students in this case. Right, because it seems like a lot of these students they go over. It's just for a degree. It's it's a very fleeting thing. Probably just three years of their lives. Yeah, and then they're gone in and out. Right, and then some Chinese students they see Indians and and you know what some parts of China you, it's you still have those situations where. If you're a white guy walking down the street, yeah, you know, yeah. you'll have like kids walk up to you and they can't take a picture of you. Yeah, exactly. Stuff, right? yeah. I mean, I mean, that's still the case, especially in, sec- uh, in, se- in like third tier yeah. cities, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you have an Indian person there, that's like that's also for them like um, different. And yeah. I and I and I assume the then then all the discrimination, the biases just there come There is up. yes, I, I yeah. So so I did find that in my in my research. And how did the and how did the Indian students like adapt to this? Like, what was it about? Like you 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 talked about 
changing your attitude and worldview earlier. But I mean, is that mm. was that a thing for them, or was that just like just get it over with for three years and go home? Uh, for the majority of them, is is that uh-huh. uh, for a small number of them, I I think they did uh, take opportunity of this you know mobility and this this experience of living in different countries. So some of them I have encountered as well some Indian students who have picked up Chinese language. Uh, and uh, you know, interacted more with their uh, local uh, students or faculty. And for them, really, uh, for for these people who take the effort, it, it, it can be an expe- uh, fruitful experience. So I've had one uh, case where, you know, this Indian guy who picked up, you know, who graduated from uh, you know a Chinese university with a degree, but then he decided to actually uh, become a recruitment agent. For future Indian students who want to embark on this kind of programs, oh. and he, he, you know, he tapped into his network and his Chinese language to do that. So for some of them, you know, that intercultural experience, you know, turns into something, you know, uh, you know, in, uh, fruitful in career terms. But majority of them, I think, as you described, they are just here uh, to get a degree and to get it done as soon as possible, um, and and then go back. Yeah. It's- I mean, and it's interesting you mentioned that case because you know we hear about that we hear the term in well in academia at least we hear the term like cultural brokers, right? Mm, mm, Where they're able to yeah. navigate both sides, and that's really you know the the agents of transnationalism. You're able to uh, you know live in live in China, and yeah. you're also able to live in India, and through that you create yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and would you say this is? And I'm. I'm would you say this is uh, an important skill that's coming up? Like, because the world's getting smaller, transnationalism still happening, despite there is some pushback with populism yeah, yeah. nowadays and uh, nativism, and also um, uh, more authoritarian yeah. uh, perspect- uh, positions, especially in, in North America and Europe. Would you say, though, being still being a cultural broker is going to be a, a, a key factor in, I mean, in terms of soft skills in the yeah. future? Absolutely, absolutely. I, th- I think it, it creates a lot of opportunities. I mean that that was the you know uh, that was a good case in point. This this was someone who turned his you know intercultural experience into you know his career you know opportunity. So I definitely say yeah. But I think so. So here is where I think individual efforts does come in your individual uh, outlook. Um, why is it that the majority of the students they've decided that China is got just gonna be this transient place for me? You know, um, most of the time they spend their time in the dormitory, you know, listening to their uh, home, you know, music from or movie from their home country, and they go to through lessons, they go through the motion, you know, then they go back to their country. Where others they do see an opportunity. Yeah, that that's a puzzle to me as well. You know, I think sometimes maybe it's 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 just you know, individual. Um, you know, it's it's an individual difference. I don't know. It comes down it's, to the individual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because <laughs> in your case, in your case, you you went to Singapore, and then you went to the UK, and you made something out of this whole transnational experience. Not everyone did that. I mean, some people just. I mean, some people went back. I am assuming huh? mm-hmm. some people went back to China. Mm-hmm. Some people stayed stayed in Singapore, mm-hmm. um, and and lived a very Singaporean lifestyle mm-hmm. after they integrate, uh, and and so it's like it. It's it's like I would say it's I mean it's, it seems for me it's almost like a matter of choice you know whether that person decides to maximize the experience I mean when you were in Oxford you you were there for four years five years four four years including the one year where, which I actually spent doing field work in Singapore so. okay so really for four years I mean would you say you saw some uh, Chinese people there that you know they primarily hung around Chinese people they basically never 
I mean, they were at Oxford, but mm. they weren't really at Oxford. <laughs> they were more like hanging out with Chinese friends all the time. I I suppose there would be some of those.、Um, But、uh, on the other hand, I wouldn't, you know,、um, I don't think I've done anything out of the, you know, anything extraordinary, because、um, nowadays academia is very international.、Um, if you look at,、uh, you know,、uh, you know, the academics working in Singapore, like myself, we, most of us have very cosmo, you know, if you like cosmopolitan, you know, international experiences. Having studied in, you know,、uh, two three countries is quite common.、Mm-hmm. Um, so,、um, and Singapore likes this kind of.、Uh, Uh, people,、um, it, it is as I, as I said, a country that thrives on you know its connection, connectedness to the to the rest of the world. So I don't think I've done anything extraordinary. It's just you know、uh, going back to Singapore,、um, and of course, and here again, I also want to say that、um, there is this thing called cultural capital, cosmopolitan cultural capital. So, so for the for those who are unfamiliar with that, can you explain that what that means? Okay, so cultural capital is a is a is sociologist Bourdieu's idea that、uh, you know it's it's basically what you know and your experiences, the 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 ensemble of your、um, of your、uh, knowledge, your experiences,、um, the kind of things you know,、um, um, your knowledge. Yeah. So、uh, having having studied in different places and having that uh, experiences uh, recognized through academic credentials, right? It gives you certain recognition. So. Um, and people's access to these cultural capital is sometimes conditioned upon, you know, class. As I said, Oxford is isn't the place for you know. It's it's a majority, you know, for for people who are mostly privileged. So、um, what I'm trying to say is that I guess that I think the fact that I、um, I could now work as you know an academic in in Singapore in a you know internationally recognized university. There is a certain.、Um, I'm lucky,、uh, but it it's I I sometimes question how how、uh, how fair that l- luck is. You know,、uh, maybe I have you know.、Um, What do you mean when you question how fair that luck is? I mean, isn't it through your hard work? I think there is always an element of luck. I'm sh- I'm sure there are people who work as hard as me and who have who are you know.、Um, Who have just done in、uh, you know same amount of work and so on, but they don't necessarily、uh, get the kind of opportunities I got. So sometimes, you know, luck does play a hand in you know in where we are in life and so on.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I'm losing a bit of the chain of thought. No, <laughs> no, you're still you're jet lagged from <laughs> Singapore, so that's that's pretty normal. Um, so I mean, if so, we're coming to an end anyways. Sure. So to to wrap up, although um, if you're to give recommendations for people. Because because you're 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 very unique from other people like from some other people I've interviewed, you come from a very cosmopolitan、uh, like Singapore right?、Mm-hmm. It's as co- probably as cosmopolitan as you can get、mm-hmm. um, in in a, at a global level.、Um, what would you what would what would be the key recommendation you would make to to people if they want to be able to, you know, just uproot themselves and flourish in other communities or in other cities or in other cultures. You know what's what's going to be the key for the future of globalization. Hmm. Well, I think an open mind. I would say it. It sounds like a cliche, but、mm-hmm. um, you know, 
whether you can turn an experience into an opportunity, just like the Indian students we were talking about. Why do some of them, you know, end up spending, you know, three, four years in Singapore, in, in China, but not picking up much Chinese, while mm -hmm. others could, you know, develop fluent Chinese, you know, language ability, and that turns into their career opportunity. I think, I think really, you know, it's, it's that attitude that you want to turn this experience into something useful, something enriching. You know, when opportunities are in front of you, when people of different backgrounds are there, right? Do you take that step, you know, to, to, to know them, to know them more, uh, to learn something new? I'm, you know, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm very good at it. You know, I don't, I actually sometimes, I actually think I, you know, I don't do enough of it. Um, yeah, so I would say that would be if, if there is a key that, that, that open attitude, that, that desire to turn uh, your experience into something positive that's enriching. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's really important. I think um, more than skills, that attitude, that outlook determines, you know, skills you can always, I would say, you know, you can always hone your skills, you can always pick up, you know, new skills. Uh, Learn a so, new language. Yeah, mm -hmm. but, but that, that attitude, that orientation is, is, is something that we need to, you know, reflect on and cultivate, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm not sure how you know useful this no, is. No, no. It's 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 all. I mean, it's it's all, it's great to hear your story and, and coming from a very international perspective. Because I mean, you're in you're in Ottawa right now, and you're gonna you know Ottawa is actually relatively international because it's the political capital. Mm. But um, you also find that it could also be somewhat provincial because I mean, Canada is. I mean, it's it's multicultural. We say it's multicultural, but at the same time, you know, it's. Um, it's you know it has its own quirks as well mm -hmm. and and i don't know if you'll be able to, you, you might be with your sensitivity you'll probably be able to pick up on some some of it in the next mm -hmm. few days okay <laughs> yeah. so i hope you enjoy your stay here as well yeah i'm sure yeah. i will thank you so yeah. much thank right. you thanks for a, yeah thanks a lot for your time